Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. On Commons People this week. Threats against Britain have been issued by European politicians and officials. Who do you think you are kidding, Mr Juncker? May declares war. They will, it will cost, um, about... Awful mainstream media attack on Diane Abbott as she's asked to explain her own policy. Overwhelming support. And I tell you what, if we don't win this election, the default won't lie at Jeremy's door. Strong use of the word if there. All of this and more on Commons People. Hello and welcome to Commons People. I'm Owen Bennett and this week I'm joined by Ned Simons, Paul War, and Kate Forrester. Well, maybe she's been on the Stella, but for some reason Theresa May is desperate for a punch-up. A few weeks ago, it was Spain who got the oi, are you looking at my principality treatment? And now the UK is squaring up to Brussels. In Downing Street on Wednesday, Theresa May donned her tinfoil hat and gave the jabbing finger in the chest treatment to the EU. Here's a clip. Threats against Britain have been issued by European politicians and officials. All of these acts have been deliberately timed to affect the result of the general election that will take place on the 8th of June. Pretty strong words there. Let's get straight into this, (laughs) right? Is the EU trying to influence our election because they want Jeremy Corbyn to be leader? Are they under the impression the election is going to be quite a close-run thing? And if they leak something to a German newspaper that isn't put online, there's only printed in German, uh, and loads of voters are that, going to go... That's oh. why it's so clever. That's the, it was the, the secretive way they did it. They're throwing the weight behind, what, Farron? I don't know. They're really hoping... <laughs> It's probably listeners to this podcast, and they've probably just heard that Ode to Joy thing that we used to have, you know, on uh, yeah. Farron or Farage, and thought, well, you know, you've got to go for Farron. Maybe Slip- that's it. Maybe it was, we're sleepers. I had no idea I was so powerful. <laughs> I had no idea. But, let's, but let's, no, let's be serious for a minute, because someone needs to be. Why has she come out, and is this purely for the British audience that she's come out and, and done this? Yes, indeed. Mm. I mean, there's no question it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to play well, and we'll... I'm sure we'll see the polling figures on how much it plays well. You know, no British Prime Minister loses from having a go at Brussels. Gordon Brown, don't forget, was a past master at coming back from Brussels and saying, I've, I've beaten all these guys and we've got what we wanted. So it's not just a Tory thing. But what's interesting about what she did was I think that she's effectively turning this more and more into, you know, a second referendum on Brexit. But with the difference that those people who were sort of soft Remainers who were thinking, mm, well, they're on the on the cusp, should I vote to leave or to stay? Actually, now she's exploiting the fact that if Brussels digs in, those people are saying, well, sod you, all right, we, we really should be getting on with it. And I think that's the difference. Yeah, I agree. I think it's not a stretch to say that Remainers even, like, you know, most people, patriotism is a, it's an emotional thing, isn't it? It's not a technocratic thing. And this is going to play well with people in Wigan and, you know, yeah. Solihull, Portsmouth, and even people who voted Remain. We'll see it as more of her standing up, you know, standing up for Britain in the face of 
faceless euro. There was a bizarre line, wasn't there, in Jamie Corbyn's response, which was Theresa May's wrapping herself in the Union Jack. People like, love that, that though. Yeah, that's a that's yeah, that's a good thing. And in the twenty and, and this week being the twentieth anniversary of of I said before Blair's great victory, and Blair was forever. Look at the pictures of Blair going to Downing Street. What did everyone have in their hand? Little Union Jack flags, because it was seen as really absolutely. It's and just such a bizarre attack from Corbyn. And that's what shows you, I think, actually, this is what this election really brings home, which is that sort of ruthless pragmatism of the Tory party. That actually Labour occasionally has uh, a sort of ruthlessness about it, but the Tories always have. So whether it's changing leader from Thatcher to Major, or IDS to to Howard, you know, or more importantly, more fundamentally, it's this sense that, and Theresa May's talked about this, which is the sense that Britain is a country of evolution, not revolution. We haven't had a revolution like some countries on the continent. We're certainly not a, a, a one for 300 years, and that wasn't even a proper revolution. And it's the sense Change that, their mind, in fact. And, and that was the sense where the, the Tory party um, actually embodies this great paradox, which is to preserve things, you need to change. And in a strange way, the last time we had it in Labour was John Prescott. Traditional values in a modern setting. Everyone remembers saying, him saying it all the time. And Labour seems to have forgotten that, that you need to update but also be in tune with people's values. But what I don't get about her message, her message is like, I'll tell you what, Jeremy Corbyn is Prime Minister on June the 9th. We're in trouble. Well, you called the election. <laughs> it wasn't going to be until you called the election. It was all fine. What you t- yeah. I don't know. And, and also, I mean, it's been said a lot, but the idea that having a bigger majority is going to strengthen a hand oh. in Brussels is such nonsense. But people, it, people will believe it, I guess. They but do it believe it. Because you know why ludicrous. they believe it? Because leavers are really, really worried that they're going to be sold down the river. And she's tapping into that. I'm sure all her focus groups are the same as our focus group last week, and we're going to come on later to some of that. Where, you know, Labour voters think the only way of securing Brexit is actually to vote Tory. And that's an extraordinary state of affairs, given that Corbyn was a lifelong Eurosceptic. <laughs> and, you, you, and given that Theresa May was one of the biggest Remainers in the Cabinet. So, well, she was one of the quietest Remainers yeah, in the Cabinet. Yeah, obviously. But equally, you know, she was firm in her belief that uh, it wouldn't be a disaster, but, you know, let's, let's go for Remain. And she, again, this is the pragmatism point I'm making, which is that, you know, you've got a Prime Minister who actually works out what does the landscape look like right now? What's, what, where are the British public and this is where they are and that's where I'm going to be. I think another thing to look at as well is you know when you're assessing whether it's a risky tactic by her um, if you if those who follow the New Dawn Twitter account oh, yeah. if you look at that Labour they fought the 97 election as if they could very well lose it um, and I think she is kind of playing into that as well like you know it's not a foregone conclusion because the British public hate complacency don't they she's Even right, if she's absolutely right. you know that, that new dawn twitter account which people should if you haven't seen it you should follow it it, it, it lists all the daily newspapers in the run-up to blair's victory in 97 every single sort of and it's brilliant because it, it reproduces the print editions and you can read the, the old-fashioned print whether it's the daily express or the mail or whoever and you can see that sense of the stories that build up to it and and kate's right you know that blair on election night even as he was flying down from sedgefield said to Alistair Campbell, look, you know, there's no way it's going to be a majority of like 150, 170, is it? And no way. And Campbell said, no, it really will be. Isn't there a slight difference, though, in that Blair did actually think he might not win, despite it seemed so obvious he was going to? Whereas I'm sure Theresa May doesn't actually think she's going to lose. But it, like Kate says, is behaving as if she might lose. And all the the efforts they're putting in, the money they're putting in, they're campaigning like they might. But I can't believe, you know, in Downing Street, they actually think it's not in the bag. They're scarred by 2010, though, aren't they? As sure. well, the Tories, I think. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so we know how it's going to play domestically. We think we know how it's going to play domestically. But how does this play 
on the continent. Continental, as Theresa may say today, <laughs> which normally you only reference for like a breakfast, right? Continental, but some continental newspapers, right? So how's it going to play uh, in the continental press? I'll stop saying that now. But, I mean, is this going to wind up the EU? Is this, gonna, is this kind of language saying they're trying to interfere in our election going to make a bad deal more likely? Not that we know what a bad deal is because they won't tell us. But is this, is this going to... Or, or is this, Do the Europeans know that this is all sort of smoke and mirrors that we're going to have to do before a domestic election and come June the 9th it'll be forgotten about? It's hard to know, isn't it? But it might just be this is the start of the process. It would be surprised to me there wasn't a bit of shouting at the start. I mean, before this this bit, you know, a while ago, there was a lot of talk from European diplomats and kind of people saying, you know, but you know there's going to be a lot of shouting at the beginning of the process. So they might not take it that seriously. They might see it as part of electioneering. I think once she's won, they get down to the more serious business. But not being continental, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I think, I think... Um, you know, David Davis put his finger on it. He, he pointed out also, you know, it's election year in France and in Germany right now as well. So, you know, we've got three of the major countries of the EU going through general elections. And once we come out of the German one, then things will probably calm down and everyone will sit around the table and say, actually, what's in our self-interest? And it will always come down to self-interest and, and hammering out a deal. It's funny though, isn't it, that for years the EU was attacked as trying to do deals in secret behind closed doors. That was one of the big criticisms that Leavers made about TTIP. And now the same people are going, look, we must do this deal behind closed doors and in secret because, uh, you know, what's going on? Again, some of the uh, more extreme Brexiteers who were very upset with the idea that Juncker and the Commission and Brussels are playing hardball, as if if they shouldn't, as if somehow they should be so nice to us. And Dan Hannan, Dan Hannan was on Newsnight saying, what we really need is an international body to arbitrate and rule on the deal. Judges, I thought we were getting out of Brexit. I thought we were getting out of the EU to get away from this. And it's the same old thing of the, the idea that. Whilst, I'm sorry for shouting. Well, sorry, no, but, but this kind of during the referendum as well, you saw there's so much of the arguments for leaving. Whilst there's a lot of you know rational arguments, a lot of it was also emotion about ideas of you know nationality and identity. But the idea we're allowed those emotions, but the EU isn't allowed yeah, those emotions. Yeah, yeah. That the Germans and French governments also don't have emotional reasons why they which might impact on whatever deal we get it was always no they'll be totally rational economically but we're allowed to be all you know um i think there's a lot of people as well who are kind of recognizing that in two years time you know when we're further down the road is there going to be is the landscape going to be completely different like what's going to happen in the french election and does that mean that somebody else is potentially going to leave maybe i mean maybe not but i think lots of people are considering that and if you want to know, sign up for my Brexit briefing because you'll find it there, not first, but you'll find it there best. Right? <laughs> it only comes up once it's a week. It's all one long advert for your email, thing. basically. Absolutely. Oh, coming from Mr. Paul Moore. <laughs> Unbelievable, Mr. Speaker. Do you do an email, Paul? Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't. And he doesn't read it either, you can tell. I do, I do read it. No, no, I just found that out. Yeah, because you've only really mentioned me. Anyway, Theresa May is obviously determined to fight the election on her name and her record and frame it as a mandate for her Brexit position. But Labour want to talk about other issues. Policing, for example, his Shadow Home Secretary Dan Abbott on LBC giving a strong and stable explanation of plans to recruit 10,000 more police officers or 250,000 more or two thousand. Anyway, here we go. Talking about um, uh, an, a, a process over four years. I don't understand. What, what, what is he or she getting? 80 million divided by 10,000. It was 8,000. So, I'd, what are these police officers going to be paid? We will be paying them the average... Has this been thought through? Of course it's been thought well, through. As where we, are the figures? The figures are that the 
The additional cost in year one, when we anticipate recruiting 200 and about 250,000 policemen, will be 64.3 million. 250,000 policemen? And women. Right. Well, we're, so you're getting more than 10,000? You're recruiting 250,000? No, we're, we are recruiting 2,000 and perhaps 250. To and the cost... So where, do, where did 250,000 come from? I think you said that, not No, me. no, you, I can assure you you said that because I wrote it down. So the campaign, Labour's campaign so far, seems to be, apart from incompetence, you know, with that, but it seems to be a lot of attack in the media. We've had Barry Gardner going into Adam Bolton. We've had Dan Abbott and John McDonnell this week um, going, having got the BBC for regurgitating Tory press releases. So it's the idea for Labour that, because they right, we assume the press is going to be negative, so let's just not accept it as, as being fair and let's really call it out. Is that is that what we're going to see from Labour? Well, more? Th to be fair to Labour, and th there's been a, occasions in the past week where I've thought, whoa, what's that, that all about? The BBC leading on Mugwump at six o'clock on Radio 4 was extraordinary and mm. leading on it for much of the morning. So an attack line became their lead story, and they changed off it soon after. But Labour had a point there. You know, what's going on? However, I thought that was an aberration. There isn't this grand conspiracy, the BBC, as we all know, to sort of uh, attack Labour or do them down, despite what all the, the Corbynistas say. And on the whole, don't forget, in a general election, there are rules that people have to abide by. So um, in, a, in, in a way, Labour will be getting a, a fairer crack of the whip. But what it seems is that we are again entering the third leadership election and that's what this is all about really it's about getting in your excuses early why did we lose it's because the awful media against us but as we found out in our focus groups um last week and probably this week that actually a small number of real people actually read newspapers anymore so you can't use the excuse that it's a murdoch press ruining everything in fact most people get their, their news from talk radio or from from the tv should we have a little clip of the uh, focus group which took place last week in Slough? Here is some clip of uh, some people we spoke to. It's because I listen to a lot of talk radio. I keep hearing yeah. more than I think I've ever heard yeah. from him. He scares me. I don't know why. Yeah. I'm, I'm a Labour supporter. Um, always have been, but I vote Conservative. I need to get Jeremy Corbyn out. Um, I like what Labour have said, yeah. but because they're under Jeremy Corbyn, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Because these focus groups that they focus, people tend to focus on the things which sometimes are very, very small and also the very, very big things. They'll think about leadership and that kind of stuff, but they'll also think about the state of Jeremy Corbyn's garden. So, is it the media which trivialises politics, or is it people which trivialise politics and we respond to it? Okay, defend. I think. Mm, well. I think Paul is absolutely right in what he says about the approach to um, to the BBC being about the next leadership election. Um, I think um, the Diane Abbott thing was one of those things that cut through to everybody, even even if they're not interested in politics. Everybody knows about that. Everybody knew what happened. Um, and I mean, crucially on that, all she had to do was read the press release that <laughs> Labour had put out the night before. <laughs> like, it wasn't difficult. And so that story, which was, you know, quite a good policy, um, ended up being spiked just basically in favour of Diane Abbott messing it up. 
And she um, claimed that she misspoke, but like, I think yeah. that, that that she doesn't do herself any favours by claiming that. I mean, because she didn't misspeak, she just didn't understand. She, she had a no. migraine coming she, on. She clearly didn't well, understand. Time, didn't yeah. and, and the reason I think it did matter, you know, she, on Daily Politics, the interview that followed up at LBC kind of shambles was saying the BBC doesn't want to talk about the real issues and attacking them. But it, it matters because it plays into the Tory attack line. Even if some of Labour policies are popular, they can just say, whilst it might be a good idea, you can't deliver it because you can't even articulate it. So that's going to be, it just plays into the Tory attack on Labour. And that's why that interview, I think, did matter. It wasn't just kind of silly. It did have an impact. Yeah, it really did. So where does Labour go from here then? Because are they going to keep attacking the BBC? Are they going to keep attacking the press? Uh, We've seen, for example, Jeremy Corbyn's former spokesman, Matt Sarp-Cousins, wrote this kind of stinging rebuke to how the media are obsessed with triviality and, you know, it's terrible and we're letting people down, you know, and then and the problem that these uh, journalists have got in their contact but all the number of these Blairite MPs who they call up for stories. And I was a bit like, well, then get your Corbynite MPs well, to bring this up. Well, that's the point. You have to fight game, fire with right? fire. You have to, and this is, I think, why people within Corbyn's office have left over the last few months. There's a sen- the sense that actually they you know, can't run a bath. And effectively, it's about saying, if, you've, if you're upset with the way the media are handling you, then get better at it than them. In other words, even right now, as we speak, the Tories have a very, very ruthless and efficient um, spin operation and a media management operation. But it is a professional one. In other words, they, they, on a daily basis, know what is in their grid. Until this week, most people outside Corbyn's office didn't even know that there was a Labour grid and what was in it. And that says everything. There's a mistrust of Labour HQ, so that they won't even tell Labour HQ what's in the grid, which is extraordinary. You wouldn't get that at the Tory party. Um, and... There's, there's also just the ranking competence and the inexperience. These are a lot of people around Jeremy Corbyn who've never run a, le- a general election campaign before, don't forget. And so, you know, you've got thing, pink, things like basic things like today, we've got the Duke of Edinburgh making his big announcement. To, you know, Number 10 have a statement. And as I understand it, TV crews went to Labour HQ to get Jeremy Corbyn on camera reacting. And... Um, then he, for some reason, then decided to go off to Oxfordshire and said, oh, I'll do it there, I'll do it later. So he's missed the lunchtime bulletins. That's just incompetence. It might be some of the Machiavellians around Corbyn saying, oh, well, they're going to ask him really tricky questions about is he a Republican? But actually, they can't do that because today is local election day. There is no political question. So it was an open goal and they missed it early. Well, this is, what it, this is exactly what you're saying. You know, it's just a basic lack of kind of understanding of, of firstly of a disregard if you like of the news cycle and also a fundamental misunderstanding of what goes on in an election campaign and you know what the rules are um well, i'm going to play devil's advocate here and say but it doesn't matter does it because we've got social media now people <laughs> can get the news how they want people why why have why have they got to dance to our tune these guys you know why have they got to listen to what to the news bulletins and do all that surely they don't need to they can do it all on their own terms which is why they're so ahead in the Oh, wait a minute, I've answered my you, own are question. Are you Corbyn superfan on Twitter? Absolutely, I am. I'm Corbyn super poet. I'm super poet. Yeah, oh, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. He does live in East London like you. Yeah, 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 exactly. Hipster. He's, he's absolutely hipster like me. You're listening to Commons People. Now, there are few bigger cheerleaders of Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party than Chris Williamson, who served as MP for Derby North from 2010 to 2015. He's standing for Parliament again this election, and Ned Simons, hello Ned. Hello. Hello. Spoke to him this week and asked if he thinks Jeremy Corbyn should stay as leader, 
even if Labour loses. Certainly do. I most certainly do. And I, and I, and I, I suggest that if you actually had a, a poll or indeed a, a vote, and we've had two votes, don't forget, the overwhelming support for him, mm. actually, overwhelming support. And I tell you what, if we don't win this election, the default won't lie at Jeremy's door. Mm. Absolutely no way. The fault will be 100% of the door of the malcontents who have actually created the division inside the party and created that perception that the party is divided. Mm. When, as I've already said, the reality is the party is united. On the other hand, Richard Angel, who runs the Blairite Group Progress, believes any success Labour MPs have in the election is despite of Corbyn, not because of him. Why did we win 20 years ago? Firstly, because... Blair, like Wilson and Attlee before him, reached out beyond the Labour tribe. And that's something that we always need to remember that we need to do. Secondly, because we offered an alternative government, not an alternative reality to what the Tories were doing. That kind of litmus test and proof test that is this what you would be doing if you're in government right now is really important to your credibility with the voters. And thirdly, that we refused to allow economic credibility and social justice to be at odds with each other. They were reconciled and showed that they can happen. So already people are getting their excuses in early. It's uh, either going to be the Blairites' fault for not supporting Corbyn well enough or Corbyn's fault for just being rubbish. You mentioned earlier on, Paul, this is all gearing up for the third leadership election. Do we think that there is going to be... So if there is a third leadership election, Jeremy Corbyn will stand, Ned? Um, I think if there is, I think he probably will. I think the best chance of him going is if, on his own terms, leaving. I don't think if, if he's challenged in this uh, election, I think he would stand and I think he would win. Okay. Well, well, yeah. yeah, I agree. Um, I think the really big question is how long the unions put up with it if Labour is completely battered. Mm. At what point do they decide to pull the plug because they're going to be terrified about their future? And how long can this go on? That's a very good point. I mean, someone was saying to me this week, you know, obviously Len McCluskey's on board or has been on board, but there was allegedly a bit of a wobble even from, from McCluskey last year. Uh, and you've got people like Dave Prentice who might say, might go public finally. Um, so the, the unions do have a key role. But I have to say that, you know, it depends entirely on how many seats Labour gets in this general election. And if it does go down, the Labour Party, to 150 seats, don't forget what the formula is. 15% of MPs need to nominate for a, for a, a new leader candidate. OK, you know, Corbyn automatically will be on the ballot. But if he decides to stand down, then whoever the left want to replace him have to get 15% of the PLP. If they go down to 150 MPs, they only need 22, OK? Not like at the moment, was about 35, and it was quite a high bar, but he did it last time. So he needed only 22. And two of those are already MEPs who are lefties who quite like Jeremy Corbyn. So you're down to 20 members of the PLP, I mean, 20 Corbyn MPs. Um, Abbott, and you've got already around 20. That's why, though, the, the selections, the Labour selections for safe seats recently have been really, really important, because even getting one extra left winger or two makes a massive difference in that coalition. So Laura Pidcock, who's a, a left wing councillor up in uh, in the northeast, has, has got the safe seat of Durham Northwest, repla replacing Pat Glass. So she's a significant addition to this equation. And I think... That's what we're going to see. I mean, you know, Labour MPs were talking to me this week about, you know, don't forget the numbers. The numbers are going to be really important. Dan Abbott forgot the numbers. There we are. Anyway, uh, it's <laughs> uh, election section. Uh, who did bet this week? Was it a definitely maybe? Or was it a what's the story? Corbyn glory, Kate. I think it's got to be definitely maybe again, hasn't it? I mean, I don't know why I'm willing to ask this. <laughs> <laughs> Ned? Yeah, it's going to be definitely maybe, isn't it? Because... 
because she's just doing the best. Yeah, cool. I think that Wednesday's actual address on the streets of Downing, on the steps of Downing Street, just proved why she is a good politician and why she's in the box seat. And and you know, it's because she's massively cynical. Yeah, there is a deep cynicism yeah. as well. And that, you know, to be honest, Labour's big opportunity they've missed is is saying actually. All of Wednesday was quite fake. It was a fake announcement that you didn't need to go to the palace. It already is automatic under the Fixed Term Parliament Act. That was all pretty fake. And I think there is something in Yvette Cooper's attack line, which is that, you know, this was not stable and it was not strong in many ways, making this attack on, on the EU. It sounded kind of almost man down in the pub Farageist. That's not necessarily a stable way to run a government. The problem for, the, for Cooper and Labour is the public like it. Uh, so... Uh, this week, I, I did something on Tony Blair's four ways back into politics, right? Basically, it's an excuse to write about Roy Jenkins again, right? <laughs> Read the piece. And you love <laughs> Jenkins. <laughs> anyway, and in doing this, I stumbled across his page on YouGov, where it had a list of profiles of different politicians. And it had correlated what people who liked them also liked. So, for example, people like Tony Blair, what their favourite film was. Or musician was. So, I'm going to quiz you on that now. Oh, nice, so, and, nice and random. People who like Tony Blair... What is their favourite film? And here are the choices. Oh, good. Mrs. Brown's Boys, the movie. (laughs) Shaun of the Dead. In the Loop. Sex Lives of the Potato Men. Paul. I'd say Shaun of the Dead because it's of that era. Kate? I'm going to go In the Loop. Ned? Uh, What's another one? Mrs. Brown's Boys. Potato Man or Mrs. Brown's Boys. The Potato Man one. No, it's Mrs. Brown's Boys, the movie. No way. Look, don't ever go at me. Have a go at the good people at Great Britain who do these surveys for you, Gov. That's amazing. Yeah, I know. It gets better, this. Keep going. That's enough to make me a Corbynista. Actually, that is the best one. But anyway. Stay with us, listener. Jeremy Corbyn supporters' favourite band. What? Is it Ma- Jeremy Corbyn supporters' favourite band? Okay, go on. I think I said to you yesterday. No, 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 I'm not. Is it Madness? Is it Squeeze? Is it XTC? Oh, you told me this, but I've totally forgotten. Is it Gang of Four? Um, Squeeze. Paul? <sighs> Madness. Kate? Um, I want to say Squeeze. It is Squeeze. Yes. Well Ooh. done. Trees, people like Theresa May, what their favorite, what's their favourite film? <laughs> is it The Exotic Marigold Hotel? Is it the second best exotic marigold? <laughs> <laughs> is it the Italian job? Or is it Dad's Army? Um, marigold Hotel. Which one? The first, first one. one. The first I'm going to go for the second Marigold Hotel. Okay. Ooh, I'm going to go Dad's Army to be different. It's the Italian job. Oh, no! no. Yeah. yeah, Theresa May fans like the Italian job. In which a group of people go into stuff Europe and yeah, 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 yeah. money, yeah, yeah, exactly. and then end up in literally a <laughs> on a cliff edge, right? I mean, come on, guys, right? Uh, which celebrity do Nigel Farage fans like the most? Go on. Jeremy Clarkson, Jim Davidson, Kenneth Williams, or Emma Thompson? <laughs> um, Emma Thompson. Ca- I want it's to be, Jim, be Davidson, Jim Davidson. No, Clarkson. I reckon it's Clarkson. Clarkson Kate. Yeah, Clarkson. Definitely. Yeah, it probably is, but I'm going to go for Nark, Nark, Nick, Nick. Davidson. It is, I thought he was on a stroke then. Uh, it is Clarkson, <laughs> but Jim Davidson was a very close second. Oh, that's so, good. Okay. That's pretty, that's and Tim Farron, which celebrity uh, do Tim Farron fans like? I mean, Ned, I could just ask you which celebrity. <laughs> Ned's is a it, celebrity. Is it uh, Eddie Un- Izzard? Unacceptable. Jon Snow, Mary Berry, or Boy George? Why is Sweep not an option? He's a Spaniel. That's true. Span- <laughs> yeah, good, very yeah, good point. Yeah. I'm going to say Eddie Izzard. Right. Kate? 
Um, You've forgotten the options, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. Izzard, John Snow, Mary Berry, Boy George. John Snow. John Snow. No, Mary Berry. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Really? I thought I was being really clever there because I thought you I told mean, me that answer the other if day. You, if you go and have a look on the website, there are some really, I mean, it's bizarre what you got I love thing. that. That's great. Anyway, so there we are. All right. Excellent. Good right. quiz. Did I have a name, the quiz? No. Because oh. it was too good. I <laughs> no name was good enough, right? So anyway, uh, now it's the feature that I love more than um, Tim Farron fans love Mary Berry. It's in case you missed it, isn't it, Ned? What so, have people missed this week, Ned? Loads of stuff. Good. Loads of stuff. And I'm definitely not reading from a story that someone else in the room wrote. <coughs> but uh, <clears throat> So the Defence Committee this week, or last week, released a report. <laughs> yeah, I'm all over this story. Showing that basically we're really vulnerable to attack. And it says that we need to have 82,000 troops. We've only got 80,000 troops. And the committee said that the army, which falls below the already historic low, makes itself dangerously vulnerable to external aggression. So if Brussels does want to wow. have a go. So really, Theresa yeah. May should have read that before yeah, yeah. she went yeah. out yeah. and yeah. started all the big ones. She's getting all punchy. Oh. We haven't got enough troops. So that's worrying. Absolute mm-hmm. bluff. Yeah. Oh, so there we are. So we haven't got a good army. No. Great. Well, no, no, enough of one. Surely they are good, but, you know, well, not enough of They're them. good, but just not enough of them around. Come and have a go if you think you're old enough. No, don't. Listen, <laughs> come and have a go if you Yeah, you yeah I read your memo, Paul. Enough. I read your memo. But it was in there. Have good a go, fun. but only no, in the places. No, actually, it was a you want some. That's what actually was some, my headline. Right. Okay, well, I'm going to put that in my resume later on. Anyway, <laughs> um, we'll leave, thank you for listening, uh, dear listener, and we will leave you with this clip of Tim Farron being confronted by an angry Leave voter while out on the campaign trail. See you next week. I voted leave, yep. and I'm proud to have voted yeah. leave. You're very I aggressive. You're a very aggressive man as well. But are, are you? Are you? Are you got grandchildren? Yes, I have are got you, grandchildren. Are you proud that they'll inherit a poor or less I'm powerful, proud that they're going to. I'm proud that they'll be coming out of Britain, uh, out of Europe. Well, I mean, and that we will have our own destiny do you not think and that not have people tell us we're going to pay a hundred billion pounds to get out. If that's your policies, I hope you get beat, I hope you get six seats. Well, thank you very much. It's been nice to talk to you. Can I just point out to you, can I just point out to you, that would never have happened to Theresa May because she doesn't talk to anybody normal. So God bless you. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.